Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. Um, I, I taught him a sermon today, the opposite of worry. And when I was trying to think it through and I was reading about worry, I, I tried to, I even Googled. Do I have any Googlers in the house? Anybody that Googles? Uh, I might should say it like this. Do I have anybody that doesn't Google? Okay, that's now Sylvia does not Google. Calvin doesn't Google. Yeah, maybe a few, but most people Google. I'm a Googler. Um, I will tell you, though, don't Google. Don't ever Google something. Uh, if you've got some physical ailment, don't Google that. Don't, don't do it. I, I had a, a shoulder that was acting up, and it was just doing something weird, and it wouldn't get well. It was about a year into it. So doctor did an MRI, and then they sent me the MRI results and had this goofy thing. I won't tell you what, but it just said this thing on there. I, well, I don't know what that is, so I Googled it. Well, when I Googled it, turns out that I was going to die from cancer any day now. Uh, and so I, I told Rusty, why do I do this? So when I saw my doctor, he's like, ah, that didn't mean anything. Everything's fine. So, uh, but I'm a Googler. And so I even Googled what the opposite of worry was. You know, what's the opposite of worry? Uh, and what would you say? The opposite? Somebody shout it out. What would you say? Not worry. Well, that's my mother. So, you know, she thinks like I do. Yeah, not worry. Uh, yeah, trust. There you go. Trust, confidence. Uh, I like that better. Say Somebody else said one. Faith, oh yeah, faith's a good one. Trust, faith, um, I, help, help, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. Hope, hope, help, hope. Maybe they're all good ones, I don't know. These are 51, remember. Um, I told, um, when I settled on a different word, I settled with provision. The opposite of worry, provision, and that's not going to make a lot of sense to you right now, but hopefully over the next 15 or 20 minutes or so, that'll begin to make some sense. So, you know, we hear worry, 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 stress, 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 fear, fear, fear. We hear that kind of stuff all the time, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. It, if you turn on the news, uh, you listen to the radio, that's all it is. It, it's everything that you can imagine. There's something going on. Uh, I saw last night that they've had, and I don't really know a whole lot about it. I just saw a blurb, uh, and I was trying to find it uh, on, on the local news, and I didn't find anything, but there was apparently there was a giant earthquake in Haiti again, I guess it was. And uh, I, I think the blurb I saw, thousands of people had died. Um, and, you know, we had the, the building collapse in uh, Florida, the, the apartment building, and then uh, we've got, which I, I intended to do this a moment before, and, and I, again, it slipped my mind, but I wanted to pray for the churches in Afghanistan specifically. Um, if you haven't kept up with that, uh, this for me is not political. It's just merely, uh, I think, a tragedy what's happening with, um, with the people there. And if you know anything at all about the Taliban, you know they're not kind to Christians. Uh, and I meant to do that earlier, so I know this is a little weird uh, to do this here, but I want to take just a second and pray for those churches. I meant to do that earlier. Uh, so could we just, just quickly pray for that, that, that country and those churches? Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the reminder to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Father, for those churches that uh, we've seen in the past what happens when those hostile to Christianity come into power. And Father, their very lives are at stake today. Uh, if they are meeting today, they are, they are very literally putting their lives on the line in effort to show you honor and to worship you. So, Father, today we are sitting here in an air-conditioned building, and, and uh, we are free to be here and to worship, and they're not. Uh, so, Father, would you protect those churches and those missionaries and those that, that have been called into Afghanistan in that area? Would you watch over them? And, Father, would you use them to change a nation? Would you protect them and guard them today, Father? And, and uh, to add to this, we pray also for the nation of Israel, that you would watch over those people as well, that you would comfort and protect. 
Father, and that you would uh, allow them to continue to be, and we know you've promised that, to be uh, your people and to be a beacon of hope because of you. Father, thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think when we think about worry and anxiety and fear, I think that's just kind of a part of life. Uh, And it began with Adam and Eve, and it seems like to me sometimes, and maybe it's not any worse now, maybe it's just I have more access to news, but it seems like even now that we have so many more worries and fears and things. And, and, and I want to tell you, uh, I'm not immune to it either. I don't want you to ever think that when I stand up here and say something to you that I'm, I'm trying to elevate myself above you because that's not true. Because I have things also that I worry about that I have anxiety over. I worry about the church a lot. Um, I, I'm concerned about, uh, I, I wanted to start some programs at the church, you know, and we, we had a push and we got people to sign up. And I was, my intent was to start home groups again. And Uh, some ladies' ministries and some men's activities. And so I have found myself in the last three or four weeks really not knowing what was the wise thing to do. And I'm just standing here before you today. I don't know what the wisdom is in doing those things, what we should or should not do, and that concerns me. Um, I worry when people stop coming to church. I can't help it. Uh, If I text you because I haven't seen you, it's not because I'm trying to make you feel bad. It's because I want you to know that I miss you when you're not at church. Uh, I have just about decided that um, that I must be the person that people are least likely to return a text. I pretty well figured that out, um, and I, I don't know why that is, but I promise if you get a message from me, I'm just checking on you, but I worry about those kinds of things. I worry about what's going on in your lives, and, uh, you know, we've had so many folks lately wrestling with COVID. I, you know, uh, what a blessing that Joe Hopkins got to be back with us today because he really struggled with COVID. And, uh, yeah, we're just so blessed that he's back. And so, you know, I worried about them, and I prayed uh, Stephen and Danielle and uh, all the, the folks that were struggling with COVID, and, and I know I'm missing some, but uh, I think about that. And I think about my parents. My parents are getting older, and Rusty's mother's getting older, and I think about their health and, and what's going to happen with them. And, and uh, before you would sit out there, and maybe if you're just in case you're doing this, before you chastise me, over what I'm telling you. Let me just be clear real for a second, though. When I say I worry about those things, I am not paralyzed with fear. I don't walk around like in complete and utter terror that something's going to happen to me, but I recognize that sometimes I worry. Is that fair to say? I recognize that that happens. And I have the privilege of walking with you and your relationship with the Lord, and I can tell you as your pastor, I know I see you do the same thing. You know, I talk to you, and even if I don't talk to you, I can sniff it out on Facebook. I mean, I'm I can sniff out when something is that you're wrestling with, something that you're struggling with. I see that. And so uh, even the most God-fearing and faithful people on this earth, we have times when we experience fear and worry and anxiety. Is that okay to say? But I do think that God has provided a way for you and I to rise above doubt and fear and anxiety and all the unknowns. I, I do think God's provided a way. So I want to get started with you with that today. So this first part, I want to, I want to title, Where Does Worry Come From? And so if you'll turn in your scripture with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 25. And this is a passage probably you could quote a lot of it from memory, but I want to read it to you in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We'll start at verse 25 and read down through verse 34. And I'll give you just a moment to find that. Matthew 6, 25, and we'll read. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? 
Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that passage begins with the sentence, therefore I tell you, do not worry. That's verse 25. And that's easy to understand, but hard to do. And I think this is one of the most recognizable passages in the New Testament, and it is part of what scholars have come to refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to read it, I would encourage you to do so. It is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You can read the Sermon on the Mount. And so at this point in chapter 6, so right in the middle of Christ's sermon, he has already given some instruction to those people that were present. And he's told them some things. And a couple of them that he's told them is that they're to be salt and they're to be light. And then he admonishes the people in regard to sin and he showed them how sin begins in their hearts and how sin then is manifested in their actions. Jesus was challenging them to be better than what the law had mandated when he said, he said this. He said, if you are compelled to go with somebody for a mile, then instead you go with them too. Or do you remember these stories? And then perhaps the most shocking part of Christ's message in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think uh, no, no doubt this is one of the parts that the people that heard him were the most uh, in awe over, the most shocked by, was he dared to say this. You are supposed to love your enemies. That wasn't heard a lot in those days. See, this was really a radical change into what they had believed. So the purpose of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is that Christ was, and this is going to be key for our whole message today, but Christ was proclaiming a kingdom that would look vastly different than what the Jews had already experienced and what they had already been taught. I mean, they have spent their lives with the Levitical law. They grew up knowing the law. If you think back to, uh, to Paul, most likely he had memorized the first five books of the Bible. I would challenge any of you to just memorize the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Can you imagine memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all at one time? Me neither. I don't know how in the world they pulled that off. But they've spent their lives with this law. And this law was their guide. And then Christ comes and he upsets everything that they've ever known. In in essence, this is what he was saying. A new kingdom was coming. There's a new kingdom on its way. And it would have been natural for the Jews to have questions about this kingdom. I mean, if you can imagine that they... They believed that they were right with God because Abraham was their father. Have you heard that before? Well, we're we're Abraham's children. And since we are his children, then by our very DNA, by our genetics, because of our family tree, we know that we have a tie-in with God because of who we are. And Christ, he comes and he says, well, wait a minute. There's a different kingdom. There's something that you haven't understood. There's a new kingdom coming. And it would be very natural for the Jews to, to ask these questions. Well, Am I eligible to enter into the kingdom? Or, Chris, maybe they would even say, well, how am I to be made righteous? I mean, if, if my lineage isn't what does it, well, how am I to be a part of a kingdom if who my father is doesn't matter? 
And see, for you and I, we've heard this. This is just second nature. And most of you could, at least up to this point, have preached my sermon because you understand it. But for them, it was all that they had ever known. It was the standard of righteousness that they had ever, the only standard they had ever known. And it came through the law. And Jesus was upsetting that standard. And it may be even better said that Christ was instructing people rather than just say he upset the standard, but Christ was giving the people what the real standard was. Here's the real standard. Now, I haven't forgot about worry, so keep hanging in there with me, but I want to talk to you about the, the standard of the law for just a second, and I want to do it through the lens of the Ten Commandments. How many of y'all memorized the Ten Commandments when you were in, in Sunday school? Yeah, me too. I actually still have the little Bible they gave me uh, when I memorized the Ten Commandments. How many of you can just not right now want to stand up and tell them all from memory? <laughs> yeah, I'm just putting a little pressure on you. Don't worry about that. I want to talk to you about the Ten Commandments, and here's what, they, here's what they are. And I fit them all on one slide, and I recognize some of you won't be able to read that, but that's as big as I could get it and, and get it on there. So you have, well, don't have any other gods. And, and yes, I sort of paraphrase them in Oki English. Don't you appreciate that I talk like a redneck? Everybody say amen. That was okay, good. Have no other gods. I, I actually, if I was really going to do this in full Oki, I would say don't make no idols. That's how I would have said that. But don't, do not make idols. Do not make no, maybe a double negative. That would have worked good there too. Have no other gods. Don't make idols. Don't misuse the name of the Lord and keep the Sabbath holy. This makes sense, right? You've heard these. What about honor your parents? Are you supposed to stop honoring your parents when you move out of the house? Are you supposed to still honor them even when you're 51 years old? I can't believe I'm saying that in front of my parents, but yes, that's true. Honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not covenant. Does that kind of sum up what the law was? Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you, you probably all know, but just in case there's someone here that doesn't know, uh, the first four commands, have no other gods, don't make idols, don't misuse the name of the Lord, and keep the Sabbath holy. Scholars refer to those as the vertical commandments. And vertical meaning they look up and they don't look left and right. In other words, these are commandments from us at how we are to view and act and behave towards God. Does that make sense, the vertical commandments? And then the, the six following are the horizontal commandments, that is between you and other people. Honor your parents, don't kill, do not commit adultery, don't steal, lie, or covet. Now, Christ summed up all of these commandments when he said, love the Lord God with all your heart. Guess what those were? Those were the vertical commandments, right? What are the greatest commandments? Well, the greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the first four commandments are loving the Lord with all your heart. Don't have any other gods. Don't have idols. Don't misuse the Lord's name and keep the Sabbath holy. So that was the first of Christ's commandments. And then the second one, he said, well, you love everybody like you love yourself, and that are the horizontal commandments to honor your parents, not kill, or commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. Interesting, huh? The Ten commandments. They're also called the Decalogue, but they are vertical and they are horizontal. You probably all knew that, but I want to just throw that in case someone didn't. Well, these Ten Commandments, really, they're just a summary of the 613 commandments that are contained in the Levitical law. And what they were to do is they were going to govern how the Jews were supposed to live. So imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus coming in and telling you that everything that you have known about how to live before God, he's going to expound on that and give you some new direction. So try to remember, now he's not saying do away with the Ten Commandments, don't think I'm saying that, but just uh, in the moment, that's probably what they heard. Are you with me still so far? So let me give you an example of what Christ was doing in the commandments. Now, commandment number six is thou shalt not kill. So 
I'm just going to go out on a limb. Don't raise your hands here, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to assume that nobody in here has actually killed someone. I was just checking to make sure no hands went up. I'm thinking, I picked this one because I thought, I'm sure we don't have anybody in here. I will say this, if you have, God forgives that too. But thou shalt not kill is the sixth commandment. Now, here's what Christ says about that. He says this, you have heard that it was said that our ancestors do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Now, that sounds like Old Testament law, doesn't it to you? Let me read it again. I want to hear a yes or a no. He says, you've heard what was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Does that sound like the law to you? That sounds like truth, right? But now listen to what he says. But Jesus says this. He said, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, people find this a little bit hard to believe, but I actually am a proponent of saying that the new covenant or the new law that Christ came to enter, to, uh, to install actually was more rigid than the old. And here's why. The old says, don't kill anybody, and if you do, you're subject to judgment. But Jesus says this, if you hate your brother or sister, then you're a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So why would Jesus say that? He's saying because even in the Old Testament, the condition of the heart was central to God's standard. But the people took a more external uh, obedience or interpretation. The people would look at it and say, well, I haven't killed anybody, so me and God are good. You're with me, right? I haven't killed anyone, so me and God are good, because the law says don't kill. Well, Jesus says this, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder in your heart, and then you're guilty of judgment. Do you see the difference? Have I completely lost everyone today? There's a difference. So, the, the commandment is the same, but Christ says it's much more than an external obedience. Remember, I taught you a few weeks ago or a month ago that Christ desires mercy over sacrifice. See, Christ always desired the attitude of the heart more than the external action because you can physically not kill someone and still be guilty of murder. That's hard to listen to, isn't it? That's kind of tough preaching, but I think what that means is that Christ is saying what's in your heart is more important than how you act. That's an amen spot, even if you didn't think so. If they hadn't killed anybody, then they're not guilty of the sixth commandment. So Jesus says, if you even hate him, then you are guilty. So I titled my sermon today, Where Does Worry Come From? And I'm sure you're sitting there wondering, well, what in the world, Noah, does this have to do with worry? Well, I'm getting there, so this is just a little rest stop, but let's keep going. I think it'll start to become clear. So Christ is teaching the crowds how a resident in this new kingdom should live. So I don't know what you do for your daily Bible studies, but if you don't have something you're in the middle of, take time this week and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You can read it in, I don't know, a half hour maybe or so. It doesn't take that long. Read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and what you'll see there is the progression of Christ's instruction. So it's like Jesus has been saying this. Here's the standard for the kingdom, and if you want to be a part of the kingdom, then this is how you will live. Does that make sense? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Here's the standard of the kingdom. And if you want to be a part of this kingdom, then this is how you will live. And don't you want to know how to live? I do. I want to know how to live. Well, that's what Christ was telling them. Now, he says, when you live this way, when you live in the manner that I'm preaching to you, and I'm by, by preaching I mean Christ's Sermon on the Mount, when you live this way, then you can expect to be a part of the kingdom and you can trust that God will take care of you. Now, the people want to be taken care of. Do you agree with that? 
I mean, read the Exodus story. All throughout the Old Testament, the people sought God's provision, and then they sought it their own way. You know, they would go astray, and it was back and forth, back and forth. And when you start reading through, uh, through the Old Testament, sometimes it can even get hard to figure out, well, who's overtaking them now, right? I mean, it gets a little lost in there. But the standard was always the same, that God wanted the heart. He wanted the heart of the people. Now, I think what Christ is saying is, and when you live this way, in this sermon, okay, here's how you're going to live. You remember, how many of you know what the Beatitudes are? Well, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. In other words, fulfilled and happy and blessed are people that live this way. Christ is laying out the new kingdom. And then when we get to the end of our passage, and I want you to see something at the very last two verses I read you a moment ago. So this is Matthew 6, verse 33 and 34. Let me read those to you again. Now listen to this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, do you think that he meant that? Okay, I'm going to give you the answer to the question. Yes, he means seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what things will be provided for you? He says all of them, but what, what was all? Well, we begin by reading, don't worry about stuff, right? I told you that was the Oki rendition. Don't be worrying about stuff. My children say the word things like thing, and it drives me insane. If y'all say things, then uh, you need to get saved because it's thing. My wife does it more than any of them, things. It's things. It's got an I in there. We're not from Alabama. And all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom. Now look at verse 34. Therefore, don't worry. Now, now, now that's easy, right? That's easy to say. It's easy for me to stand up and say. And if you're looking at me and you're saying, well, that's easy for you to say, well, I'm not the one saying it. I'm just reading it to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, remember, what Christ is doing is he's proclaiming to the people how they're supposed to live. And he's told them, you're to have a heart determined to be pleasing and determined to obey God. And so Jesus is using the law to expose their heart. He's using the law to show them that God had always wanted their heart. And I'm harping on this because I want to make sure you see this. All of this was always about the heart of people. I mean, it's easy to dismiss the Old Testament and say, well, this was this group of laws, and everybody just lived by them, and they did all the right things, and, you know, they, they, they had all of these programs and plans and purposes and what you did with ashes and sacrifice. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, that was bad, but today is good. When actually Christ says the opposite. He said that the law was good. D did he say that? He said the law was good. And why was the law good? Because the law exposed the heart. If you read long enough, you'll see where he says, uh, there wasn't any sin without the law because how can you break the law if there's no law? Am I making sense? I think I'm talking in circles. But see, so what he's done is he said, well, here's the law, and you think that's bad, but I'm going to tell you that the law is good. And here's how the law is good. It's good because I want your heart, and the law will direct you to trust me, and when I've got your heart, then I will provide for you. I will be your God, and you will be my people, but I want your heart. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's heart. When you do that, everything will be provided for you. So don't worry because tomorrow will worry about itself. You just worry about today. See, 
when Christ is doing this, he's proclaiming to them a new kingdom. He's saying there's a new kingdom on its way. So I hope you're seeing this picture. I hope that Matthew 6 is making sense to you that when Jesus, this is really what I think he's saying. He's saying if you will live all out in serving the Father, that he will take care of whatever it is that you will ever need. And see, it's, and trust me, I know, I've been, I have been there, I know. I know what it's like to need something and not have it. I know. You don't have time for me to tell you in all the ways that I know and all the times in my life when I have needed something that I didn't have. My dad always, we used to kind of, we said this, this was this not really holy, but we used to kind of, I think dad said it first, and we always say it kind of kidding around, but he said, man, no, I've been broke and I've had money and having money's better. Would anybody agree with that? I mean, I've told you before, I was so broke in college, I made macaroni and cheese and I didn't have milk. And you have not lived till you put a pat of butter, that orange powder, and hot water and noodles and ate it. You have not lived. I mean, it's good. I remember another time that we did not mix the two, but we had a two-course dinner. We began with instant banana pudding and we followed it up with pickles because that's all we had. And I am not embellishing. This happened. It was me and a, a guy named AJ, and if he was here, he would, he would amen right there. I, I, and I only use money because that's what people usually think of here. But I've been there when I needed money. I've been there when my home needed peace. I've been there when me or my family was ill. I've been there when, uh, when my, uh, the rest of my family was ill. I've been there when there were problems in the church. I've, I mean, I have been in places and at times when I needed something from God. I've been there. How many of you have been there? I've been there. And here what Christ is teaching in Matthew 6 is he is saying this. When you live all out in serving the Father, when you first seek the kingdom of God, this kingdom that Christ came to usher in, when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, when I have your heart and your heart is bent on, it is sold out to serve me. When you do that, church, I can promise you that I will provide anything that you need. It's what he promised. This isn't just me saying it. I'm just telling you what the word says. And see, every I want to add this. Everything in Scripture has to be interpreted as part of the whole because it's all part of the same story. And, and I've, I've talked to you about worry, and we're getting there, but I'm giving you a story today. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn back to Matthew 5. I'm not going to read it, but just follow along. Probably if you've got a, if you've got a study Bible of any kind, even a Bible that has notes, You'll see that little sections have headings. Yours will be a little different than these, but you'll see uh, beginning in chapter 5, it says, blessed are they who. In other words, he's saying divine blessing comes to those who are faithful. Blessed are they who. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. So blessed are those who are faithful. And then he tells us also in chapter 5, this is all part of this sermon. He says, you folks are to be salt and light. You're to be the salt of the world and the light of the world. Is that gospel? Am I preaching the truth still? In chapter 5, then Christ says this, and I find this to be very telling. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. See, I think people sometimes right there think, well, Christ came and he got rid of the law. That's not what happened. He fulfilled all of the law. See, it sounds subtle, but he did not say the law is bad and the law is gone. 
he fulfilled all the commandments of the law, and that's important, right? Because we had to have a sacrifice that lived a holy and set-apart life. Are you with me still? He says that in chapter 5. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Then he says that when I told you about earlier. He says, hey, love your enemies. Love them. Love the people that are in the, the political party that you're not. Love them. That would probably also come back to don't want to kill them. That would probably all be a part of that. You might have to block them on Facebook, but that's, you know, that's all part of it. Love your enemies. Now look at chapter 6. Then he says this, and this is how we want you to pray. That's the Lord's Prayer in, in chapter 6. Pray this way. This is how you're going to pray. I don't have time to teach you about the Lord's Prayer. We can do that another day. Then also in chapter 6, Jesus says to keep money in its proper place. You know, the, he, he doesn't say money's evil. He says loving it is, right? And then you get down to verse number 25 where I begin, and now Christ says don't worry. So are you, you, hopefully you're getting this picture. And you can continue to look on in through chapter 7, and you can see what Christ proclaims in chapter 7. But right here in the middle in chapter 6, Christ has been proclaiming the kingdom, and in doing so, he gives you instruction on how you are supposed to live. And then right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount of this is how you're going to live, and this is what is the law, and I want your heart, and this is how you're going to obey. And here's the new kingdom coming. And then right here in the middle of it, in verse 25 of Matthew 6, then he just says this in great big neon letters, but don't worry. Don't worry. In verse 25, do not worry. And actually how he says it there is don't be anxious. And when you, when you read there, you'll see several times in a couple of verses, he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Look, he says, don't worry about your life. He's saying this to you, church. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about drink. Don't worry about food. Jesus is telling us not to worry, but, but here's, the, here's the lesson in all of it that you can't leave here today without. I told you that the opposite of worry is provision, and I'm going to show you why I chose that, because Jesus does not just tell us not to worry. He tells us how to accomplish not worrying. And here's what you'll find. And if you still got your Bibles open to chapter 6, you can start underlining these things. But each place that Christ says don't worry, he gives you the reason why not to. Let me show you. He says don't worry about your life. Why? Why, God, would I not worry about my life? He says, well, because I take care of the birds, and if I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. Does he say that? Then he says, then, then he says, okay, well, maybe you're one of those that worries about clothes. And I'm not talking about looking stylish, but there are people that don't have clothes to wear. They don't have clothes that fit. And he's saying, you don't worry about the clothes. Well, why, Jesus, would I not worry about the clothes? Well, because I clothe the flowers and I'll clothe you. I hope maybe the point of this sermon is starting to kind of show up in your brain a little bit. Then he says, don't worry about food and drink. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Well, why, Jesus, would we not worry about what we're going to eat? Because he says, well, I feed the birds and I'll feed you. And then he even tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Now notice, for every worry, Christ is the provision. For every worry, he has provided. Don't worry about your clothes because I've provided. Don't worry about your life. I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat because I feed the birds. I'll feed you. Every single worry Christ addresses. Don't worry about COVID because he'll take care of you. 
And I'm not, I don't want to get off on this, and I shouldn't have even said it that way because I don't want you to take home something I'm not saying. I'm merely saying is we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to worry about uh, life. We don't have to worry about what everything everybody else is worried about because for every worry, I believe that Christ is saying, but I have and I will provide. The opposite of worry is provision. The opposite of anxiety is provision. And here's the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. The provision does not come from your own hand. It comes from His. And I, I, I would never in a million years would I ever say, I'm going to talk about Christopher, just Chris Geddes, just for a moment. Uh, I didn't ask for permission, but, but I would never, and what I'm getting ready to say, this is never, and Chris, I know you won't take it this way, to embarrass him, but I'm just going to take a super quick story. There was a time a few years ago that Chris came in my office, and Chris has been working with me at the church for, you have to always remind me, was it how many months after me? Okay, he started eight months after me. So we were both, I mean, he's a lot younger than me, but we were both brand new, and in many ways we still are. But we had a seat, we had a time there, maybe the first year or so that he was here, and Christ came into my office, and he was just worried about stuff. And we have these sort of conversations a lot, and he was just worried about stuff. And in particular that day, that particular conversation, he was really worried about finances. It was a big deal. He, you know, he... At uh, this particular time, I think, is when he had gone on the youth trip and he forgot that he was old and out of shape and he was roller skating and he fell down and he blew his shoulder out. Uh, I mean, it, you know, you just really, even Samantha was there and she's like, Dad, she's texting me, Dad, I don't, this is bad. And then all of a sudden, Samantha, she's like the youth pastor. Well, I mean, Chris was in the hospital and knocked out. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, Samantha was at the skating rink with the entire, all the kids by herself. And so, I mean, it was a disaster. Well, he's sitting in my office, and he was, he was worried about it. He was, he was concerned. He was, I, I'm, again, this is not to embarrass. I'm making a point here. He was, you know, kind of teary because dads, men, we want to take care of our families, right? I mean, that's what we do. That's what we need to be teaching this next generation, too, to make sure they all understand this. Men take care of their families. That's what we do. And he was concerned about that. And we had a conversation. And I said, Chris, he will make a way. I don't know how. I don't know when. I said, but Christopher, the day's coming that you're going to look back on today and you're going to say, I don't know how we got from there to here, but praise God for it. Now, he's not wealthy. Him and Sarah, he didn't cruise up in a Lamborghini. Uh, he didn't show up. I mean, if I could have any car, y'all going to laugh at this, I'd probably have one of those brand new Mustangs. I mean, I love the Mustang. That's my thing. He doesn't drive one of those. Matter of fact, he drives sort of a glorified soccer mom car. It's a little hatchback. I mean, he kind of does. <laughs> Do you know what? It wasn't just very recently, and he'll remember this too. He was sitting in my office, and he said, Sarah and I are just doing good. See, whatever the worry is, the provision's already there. See, it's what was happening here in Matthew 6. Yeah, but what about, what about food, Jesus? Well, I feed the birds, I'll feed you. What about my life? You don't worry about your life. I'll take care of your life. See, the opposite of worry is provision. The opposite of fear is provision. The opposite of anxiety is provision. And, and rather than you hear that I'm saying that money trucks are going to show up, now they might, 
It's unlikely, but they might. But rather, what's going to happen is something will happen in your heart, and you will have the strength, and you'll have the ability, and you'll have the power because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you when you understand that this new kingdom is all about the heart. When you begin to trust God in this new kingdom that's about the heart, you can know that for whatever it is that you fear, that Christ has made a way. He's given the provision. He's already seen it happen. He was telling them, and he couldn't go through everything. He just said, well, if you're worried about what to wear, I clothe the flowers. And if I'll clothe the flowers, I'll clothe you. Matter of fact, he even says something. Jay, he says something crazy. He said, I mean, look at how Solomon was adorned, and that dude ain't got nothing on the flowers. I mean, y'all ever seen the flowers? I mean, Rusty and I, a couple months ago, we went to Colorado Springs and go, if you haven't. Went up Pikes Peak. They got a place called Garden of the Gods and all these rocks. And, and if you didn't ever feel small before, you will when you go there. And we're looking at it. And Rusty and I are there. And it was really kind of almost like an emotional thing. We're looking down on the city from 14,000 feet in the air. And the, it's freezing cold. And, 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 and I'm seeing all that. And I'm thinking, you know, God made all of this. And look at the glory of everything that he has made. But, not, but he did not ever die for that mountain. He died for me. I mean, look at all this beauty that he made. Look at all that he's done. But he didn't, he didn't die for those. He provided for them, but he died for me. Christ died for me. See, so, so what I think he's telling us in, in chapter 6 is the provision is there. What's the opposite of worry? Well, it's provision. So the next time you're tempted to fear, you say, well, what is it that I fear? Well, I fear fill in the blank. Well, then say, well, if I'm fearing that, well, how has Christ provided for me in this instance? Am I making any sense? You know, when the times are going to come that things aren't going to work out the way that you wanted them to work out, you, you know, we, we just came through as a family, and Rusty's dad died in January, and, and in many ways we still, when we talk about it, uh, I know some of you have all experienced the loss of loved ones, and in many ways when we talk about it, we still feel real sorrow in our hearts because Papa's not here. We do. I was, uh, a clip came up on my Facebook page that um, somebody shared from two years ago when Rusty and I went back to the church one Sunday, and we kind of got to formally tell them goodbye. And I could see in the video, I could see her dad down there worshiping because I always looked at the back of his head, and he didn't have a hair on it. And I, I, I could see him, and he was, you know, he had his hand raised, and I felt emotional because I was seeing Papa again. But even in the midst of all of that loss, here's what I think is happening here in Matthew 6, is he's saying, listen, folks, listen, Davis family, Whatever you're afraid of, all of your sorrow, all of your fear, I've already provided it for you. You just keep trusting me with all your heart, and I'll take care of the rest. I believe that. With all of my heart, church, I believe this is true. I believe it's true. Worship team, y'all can go ahead and come up. I told you that this message was the opposite of worry is provision. You don't need to worry because God's made provision. So I want to close with a quote. And this comes straight from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. And I think, oh, Lindsay, this will be a slide right down towards the end. And I think this really sums up what I was trying to get across to you today. Listen to this. The Pharisees, this is who Christ was speaking to, they pursued material things and had never learned to live by faith. And Jesus is telling them that their world was upside down. If they pursued the kingdom and salvation, then God would see to it that their needs were provided for. Y'all with me today? See, the opposite of fear is provision. The opposite of anxiety 
provision. The opposite of worry is provision. Not your provision, but God's provision.